So I'm thinking I owe uh, Mike like 20 bucks for a nice introduction or something like that. So um, yeah, so ah, hey, cool. They got my picture up there. Okay, awesome. So um, hey, my name's Troy, and um, I am from Samaritan's Purse, and I want to talk to you this morning uh, about, um, we're going to we're going to be in Luke. If you want to, if you got a, a Bible, like a physical Bible, or if you got it on your phone, we'll put you on the honor system uh, there that you're uh, you're following along with us. If you want to open up, uh, if you've got a Bible there, uh, Luke chapter ten is where we're going to look. And when I mention the idea of, if I say the words a good Samaritan, everybody kind of knows what that means, right? I mean, you don't even have to. I, I don't know everyone in the room. I, I know very few in the room. Uh, met some of you this morning, but even if you've never been to church before. And I say a good Samaritan. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you can hear it on the news. They'll talk about, they'll say, oh, a good Samaritan stepped in when this was happening, or, or a good Samaritan helped out when that was happening. And we know that what that means is someone who stepped in when there was a time of need. And so they decided to jump in and be there, you know, and, and help the person or, or group of people in that time of need. And that all comes from what we find in the scriptures recorded in Luke, um, Luke chapter 10, where we're going to be, the story of the Good Samaritan. And so I'm going to share out of that story with you today. Now, I know uh, you probably saw this outside. There's like the my notes thing. You can, I didn't give any fill in the blank. It's just one big giant blank. I don't know if you're used to, uh, if Mike gives you like fill in the blank, that kind of thing. Does he do that every week? Yes? No? Yeah, he does. Okay. So you're getting a week off uh, of having to do that. Okay. If you don't like what I have to say, you don't have to put anything. And conveniently, Mike put his email at the bottom. You can email Mike if there's something I say that you don't like. Right there, I noticed. That was pretty good. Thank you, Mike. Uh, I owe you one there. So anyway, um, so um, we're going to be following along. And I, I love this story. There's just, there's such depth in it. And the cool thing about this is, I mean, this is part of the genius of Jesus' teaching, is you can read that story, and you can learn something from that. And then you can come back to it a month later and read it, and you can learn something new. And you can read it a year later and learn something again, and 10 years later and learn something again. I mean, that is the depth of how Jesus taught. That is the depth of God's writing to us that he worked through men, and he recorded this, is that it just continues to unpack in our lives. And I want to share one of those unpacking sessions that I had from this story. This was several years ago uh, that I kind of had this unpacking kind of that God started revealing, hey, this is something new to learn out of this story. Because I grew up in the church. And I've heard this story over and over and over. I was, you know, from the time I was a little kid, I would always sit, like I'd sit in the back corner on one side or the, the other. And my dad was the pastor. And so I've heard this story over and over again. And so to have something new revealed to me as an adult was really cool. So I'm going to read for us in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 30. And uh, you can follow along, or if, if you're not following, you'll hear this and, and you'll, you'll know exactly where we are in the story, okay? So it starts out, it says this, is Jesus replied with a story. Now, that's just five words right there, but let me just make sure what everyone understands what's happening here. Jesus replied with a story. He's replying to a question. There's a guy who, uh, he's asking Jesus, hey, what do I need to do? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, great. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, okay, but who's my neighbor? And it says that what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to justify his behavior, meaning he's wanting to make sure that how he treats other people is okay. And so he's kind of, I mean, he's kind of, trying to get a little zinger in on Jesus, which is pretty brave because even if the guy didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God, everyone in that time knew he was a great teacher. And so he's kind of trying to get something over on a great teacher. And what happens is, is Jesus, instead of giving him an answer, he gives him this story because he wants him to learn and he wants him to grow, which is an excellent way to teach. 
If you, you, if you, you uh, study those types of things, you don't just give the answer, you get them growing. So this is what he does. Jesus replied with a story, and here he goes. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, your version might say a Levite, some will say that, walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Verse 33 says, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, I'm going to stop right there because there's more to the story, and we'll get to it in just a minute. But I just kind of want to explain a few of the things that are going on here. This is real important to gather kind of the scene here. You've got this man who's injured, and let's pretend the man is lying right here where the podium is, and you have the priest who's walking down the road, and he comes up and he spots this guy, and he doesn't engage him in any way. I kind of picture him in my head just kind of going, okay, how far can I stay away from this because I don't want to be any part of that? And he just keeps going and goes right on with his business. Then you hear about the temple assistant. At least it says that he looked at the man. So he probably came over, took a peek, and went, no, 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 no. I'm going to go over here too. And he gets to the other side of the road. And they both completely move along and don't want to have anything to do with him. But the Samaritan has compassion for the man. We'll unpack a little bit about what he did later on. But here's the beginning of the lesson that I learned, and, and it's really seen right here just in those like four short verses that I just read. This is years ago. This is probably like 20 years ago. As I was reading this, I felt like I was just pointing out there are some real distinct attitudes that we're seeing in this block of Scripture. And I want to talk about those for just a minute. The first attitude that we say, see, and you might want to write this down, attitude number one that you see in this story is an attitude that says, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. What's yours is mine, I'll take it. Now, think about who is that in the story? That's the bandits, right? They were willing to take from this man who was walking along the side of the road. Now, I have to tell you that when Jesus was telling this story, this was not a Disney story. This wasn't like, Jesus didn't say, well, once upon a time, it's not like a made-up story. This was a very real story. And to everyone who was standing there listening, he's teaching, and, and he's talking to this man who asked the question. He's teaching to everyone who's there. This is a Jewish audience. And they understood this story because that path from Jerusalem down to Jericho is 17 miles long. It drops 3,300 feet in elevation on that 17-mile trip, which means it has a lot of switchbacks. It works its way down, back and forth, back and forth as it's working down the elevation. It had several sheer drop-offs, has several cliffs, and people would often fall and be injured or sometimes die on those cliffs. Large rock boulders and outcroppings that were there. And people knew that this was a dangerous road. They knew that people would fall and injure themselves. They knew because of the switchbacks. They also knew that several times bandits, robbers, would hide behind these large boulders, these rock outcroppings, or kind of right at, the, right at a cliff where it was switching back, and they would jump out and surprise and attack people. And so as Jesus is telling this story, all the people in the audience had to be going, oh yeah, I know that road. I know that. My neighbor, that happened to him like a month ago. Or my brother-in-law, that happened to him last year. I know exactly what you're talking about. That, I know that exact road. As a matter of fact, it was so bad that that road was one of the first to receive a name. I forget, what's the name of the street we're on here? Oak Park. Oak Park. Oh, I should be able to remember that. Okay, all right. 
I promise I went to college. Anyway, um, Oak Park. So you got a street named Oak Park. The name of this, this road, this beaten down path that worked its way, that dropped all this elevation that had that was known as the way of the blood. Now, who wants to travel on the way of the blood? Not me. <laughs> no. And so what you have is you have a situation where everyone's hearing this, and, these, and they knew this was true, and the robbers, they hid, and they jumped out, and they attacked, and they left this man bleeding on the side of the road, half dead. What's yours is mine. I'll take it. They were willing to take his stuff, and they were even willing to take his life. We don't have to look far to see that today. It's not just like a biblical era problem. It happens all the time in our society. Turn on the news. Jump on social media. You know, read a news article. This attitude is alive and well. Theft and murder and robbery. I mean, they're just, they're constant in our society. And you live long enough, and you will experience some version of that where someone has a, what's yours is mine. I'll take it. This attitude happens on a grand scale, but it can also happen on a much smaller scale in our lives when we can begin to think, well, I deserve what he has or I deserve what she has, and that should be mine. And Jesus teaches against that attitude. He teaches against that whole jealousy, envy, you know, comparison type thing. He says that what's yours is mine, I'll take it attitude is gonna eat you up alive. It'll lead to a joyless life. It will lead to pain and difficulty and problems. That attitude that says, what's yours is mine, I'll take it, is kind of an easy one to spot and say, I'm not going to go there. The next attitude in this story is a little tougher for us to work our way through. Attitude number two, you might want to write this down, is an attitude that says, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. Okay? Instead of what's yours is mine, I'll take it. It's what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. Now, we see that in the two religious leaders, right, that passed him by. As they passed by this guy, they just, you know, they just went on about their business. And again, the people probably weren't surprised by this story. As a matter of fact, when they're passing this guy, there are some reasons for them to not engage. I mean, here's, here again, let's, again, the guy's down here and here's the priest and the priest comes up and he bends down and he goes, hey, buddy, are you okay? Are you okay? And he kind of shakes him to see if he's all right. But if that guy is already dead, now the priest has touched a dead body and he's ceremonially unclean. He can't participate at wor in worship at the temple. He can't be part of any of that because he's now touched a dead body. Or, again, the same scenario. He comes up and he doesn't touch him. But, hey, hey, are you okay? And he bends down like this. And now all of a sudden, he's put himself in a pretty vulnerable position that this guy could just be a decoy and his friends could jump out and attack him right there. They could jump on him and say, you know, boom, they're just right there. And I think about that and I think, well, okay, that, that sounds kind of reasonable, you know, that kind of thing like, oh, protect myself. But then is that really just me being overly protective sometimes? Do I let that creep into my life? Have you ever, have you ever been at a stoplight and you see someone who's standing there and they're in need and you reach up and make sure the door is locked? I know I have. I know I've let this attitude creep into my life at different times. You have these reasons that sound, I mean, it could have even just been like a time issue. He's like, hey, it's not really, I haven't budgeted the time. And a lot of these reasons, they sound good. They might even sound religious. You know, don't touch him in dead body because then you can't worship. But this is all a what's mine is mine, I'll keep it attitude sneaking in. And what these guys in the story don't realize is they're living out a saying by Socrates that says, don't do to others what you don't want done to you. 
That saying by, attributed to Socrates is a negative type saying. It's kind of, it allows for a pullback. There's a negative aspect to it. It lets you withdraw and say, I'm going to pull away from that. But Jesus had something completely different to say. In Matthew chapter 7, he said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and prophet. See, Jesus says, we've got to engage. We have to be there. Where others say, no, I just pull back. I wouldn't want anyone to mess with me, so I won't mess with them. And there's a huge chasm, a complete difference between those two. We can't withdraw if we're following Jesus. We must be proactive and engage others in life. And think how different the world would be if that's how we live. Think how different things would be right here in you know, Grover Beach and Royal Grande and, and in this entire area, think how different it would be if we had this, I will engage people with this attitude that says, I'm going to do for them everything I would wish someone would do for me. But we don't live in that world, do we? The reason we don't live in that world is because we all struggle with our own selfishness. What's mine is mine, I'll keep it. I would say probably the best example I can give of selfishness is this. If I stood up here right now and I took like a big panoramic picture and we put it up on the screen, what is the first thing you're going to look for? Ourselves, right? Yeah? I mean, that's kind of where we are. My wife, she loves to get all dressed up and go do, like when our girls were young especially, you know, she'd get us all dressed up to go do the photos and they'd, you know, uh, all that sort of thing. And they'd give you all the choices and everything. They have like all the little 50 choices there and you got to pick which one. And if there's a photo, it doesn't matter to me if my wife is blinking, one of my kids is looking off to the side and another one's picking her nose. And I'm like, I'm like, that's the photo because I look good. We want the one with ourselves, right? We look to ourselves. And we can laugh about that, but honestly, that's just a small little picture of the problem, one of the biggest challenges we face in our life in having an attitude that is where it should be is that we sneak into this what's mine is mine, I'll keep it attitude, which is just a selfish attitude about everything in life. And it sneaks in in little ways and grows and grows and grows in our heart. But Jesus tells us about a third attitude. This attitude says, what's mine is God's, I'll share it. What's mine is God's, I'll share it. Let me finish reading the story here, going back to Luke chapter 10. I'll start again in verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan, hold on to that word despise, we'll come back to that in just a minute. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Right here, compassion. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs, hot, runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. End of the story. Now Jesus turns to the guy who posed the question at the beginning. He says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus gives this mandate, yes, now go and do the same. There's a lot in this story, guys. I mean, despise Samaritan. It's a complete unlikely hero. Like he's, he's picking out someone to be the hero that is the 
the complete opposite of what a Jewish audience would have wanted to heard because the whole idea of the Samaritan being the hero, the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along, right? They're constantly butting heads with each other. They're like right up against each other because the Jews looked at the Samaritans and they went, well, you're half-breeds. You're not as, you know, you don't, you don't count as much. You're not really God's people. And the Samaritans looked at the Jews and went, you're so arrogant. You think you're so important. And so they're just constantly, constantly at each other all the time. And then Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero as he's telling the story. And I tried to think like, what, what would that translate to in today's world? You know, the story of the good Taliban member, you know, the good Al-Qaeda member, the good Raiders fan. I don't know what it would translate to. You know, I thought about saying Seahawks fan, but I want Mike to still be my friend. So anyway, there you go, Mike. That's just for you. Anyway, but here's the deal. This is the thing. Jesus took kind of their structure of how they were processing things and he kind of flipped it on end because he had someone who they wouldn't expect be the hero by his actions, not even his words, simply his actions. How did he get there? I mean, how do we get there? How do we have this kind of attitude in our life? Well, we could see that he had a servant's heart because it says that he felt compassion for him. Compassion. He felt it deep in here, and that moved his heart. That moved him to action. This whole thing is a heart issue. And Jesus has called us to share all that we have. To say, what's mine is God's, I'll share it. I will not hold back, and I will not keep this to myself. I will unleash everything that God has given me, and I will let that be used by because it already belongs to him. I think there are two ways we get there. The first is we have to be available. We have to make a decision that says, I will be available to what God wants to do with my life. I will be available when God gives me opportunity. I will be ready to go. Matter of fact, something amazing, if you look at it, um, you guys remember the very first, those of you that have studied this, you probably remember the very first miracle of Jesus. He turned water into wine. Remember that? He's at a wedding and they run out of wine and his mom comes to him and says, you know, hey, they're out of wine, son. And, you know, uh, do, do you remember his response? He, he, he's standing there and his mom tells him what she, you know, that, hey, there's a problem, we're out of wine. And his response is, woman, my time has not yet come. Now, I have pictured myself saying that to my mom. <laughs> woman, I don't think I get past that word. I think she would drop me like a sack of potatoes right there. They have to understand, he's not being disrespectful. It's a total different time, different culture. But he's saying, listen, it's not time. It's not time to get involved. And the other thing that's great there is his, his mom completely, his mom does what my mom would do. His mom completely ignores the fact that he didn't want to do it. And she turns to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. She doesn't give him a choice. And so he sends the servants off. He said, go fill the jars, fill them all the way to the top with the water, and then draw some out and take it to the master's ceremonies. They take it to the master's ceremonies. He drinks some of it and he's blown away, right? He's like, this is the most unbelievable wine I've ever tasted. Most people serve the good stuff at the beginning and the lousy at the end, but you save the best stuff for the very end. This is incredible. And lots of people focus on that and go, oh, see what Jesus made is the best. But what they really miss is there's a sentence in there in the back half of verse nine of John, uh, I think it's John, I haven't noted here, John chapter two. John chapter two, verse nine. It says in there that the master, the, the, as far as it went for the miracle, the master of the ceremonies didn't know 
but the servants knew. And I think we miss that. Being available to serve for God's sake opens up opportunities for us to witness things that we never thought were possible. When we say, I'll be used by you, everything I have is yours, I'm willing to share it. What's, what's mine is yours, God, anyway, so I'll just share it. It opens us up to see things that are well beyond what we ever imagined. At the risk of sounding preachy, I mean, if you want to if you want to see miracles, be a servant. Don't be in charge. Be a servant and see what he does. So be available, but don't just be passive because be available can be a little bit passive, right? Well, I'm, I'm available. I was waiting. I would say the second idea of developing this kind of heart that says what's mine is God's, I'll share it, is to serve intentionally. Serve intentionally. Use the skills that you have, that they're God's anyways. Use those to serve the needs of others. You can have the, oh, I'm waiting to see what happens. I'm being available. I've experienced those over and over. Uh, I was, uh, uh, when I was reviewing for this, I was reviewing like, I don't know, three or four weeks ago. I was reviewing for this and I was, I was saying, okay, I need to be available and I need to serve intentionally. And on the be available side, I was going uh, for breakfast at um, God's place, Chick-fil-A. And um, <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm pulling, the, the road's kind of a little bit uphill and I'm right there. And on the right-hand side, there's a car broken down and there's two ladies. And I was like, okay, this is a great opportunity. And I jumped in and I was able to serve them and everything. And I was like, oh, this is really good. I was able to help them. And I, put, uh, I pushed their car into the Chick-fil-A parking lot, which has got to count for something. Anyway, so pushed it in and got it and that sort of thing. I was like, okay, it's available. But, but we need to, ser- it's not enough to just say, okay, well, God, you put that there. We have to decide, God, I've got skills. I've got abilities. I've got resources. I've got talents. I've got all this stuff and I need it to belong to you. And so I need to intentionally find ways to use those for you. The easiest way I know to do that is like right here, right here at Oak Park to say, I'm going to serve right here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit with uh, little kids and, and rock babies, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play with little kids. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be grandma or grandpa for an hour on Sunday morning to these little kids, or I'm going to greet someone or I'm going to help with cleaning things up, or I'm going to, whatever it might be, I'm going to volunteer with the student ministry to say, I'm going to serve this way. But I invite you to don't just do it right here. Take it outside the walls and serve the needs of the people that you encounter in everyday life. Now, when I, I told you several years ago when I was first unpacking this, and God, I felt like God was really exposing some things to me, was right about a time that we were buying our first house with a lawn, with a yard. I was so excited because until that point, we just, well, we did apartment at first when we got married, and then we had like a patio home condo type thing where you get like a square of cement, you know. But I was excited to have a, a lawn with grass. You know, I was just like, wow, this is awesome. I mean, California lawn, it's not like, it's about as big as this mat right here. But anyway, but it was a lawn, and I was excited. It wasn't huge. And I was like, that thing is going to be great. And I had to buy all the stuff to fix it up. I wanted a riding mower, but my wife's like, that's ridiculous. You'll go up and back and you're done. I did buy 
I did buy the mower that had like the self-propelled wheels, you know, so I could be all cool while I was doing it, <laughs> that sort of thing. So I, I bought all this stuff. I had the edger and the trimmer and the mower, and I had the little thing you'd spread the fertilizer to make it all green. And my yard was immaculate. It was unreal. I mean, it was like perfectly, and, and all the edges were crisp, and it was all topped off, and it was a beautiful green, that sort of thing. And I was proud of Like, I had the best lawn on the block, and I was really proud of it. I pulled in. I was like, man, that's like a putting green. That thing is awesome. I was so excited with it. Across the street on an angle from me lives Anne. Anne is a single mom. Anne lives a very hard life. I mean, like, really hard life. I, um, I don't think she's felt compassion from anyone in years at that point. We had invited her to come to church with us, but she'd never been interested. She had two kids, both teenagers. Her son would scream obscenities at her when they got in arguments running out of the house. I had witnessed him being brought home by the police multiple times. Her daughter screamed obscenities at mom when she's running out of the house. And there was a guy on a motorcycle that would pull up and eh, eh, on his little motorcycle and she'd jump on and they'd ride off. Um, I'm guessing, I'm guessing no one ever really said I love you to her. She was a hardened mom, very just hardened, even the look on her face. Her house was in complete disarray. She couldn't afford to keep it up. She was probably barely affording to groceries and, you know, pay the utility bills and that kind of thing. It's fallen apart. The yard's a mess. The, the, she's got dry rot all around on the fascia board. Uh, it needs to be repainted. There's just like mountains of problems going on with the house. And here I am, Mr. I've got my, you know, Tiger Woods putting green out in front of my house. And it's over here. And I read this. And God says, is really your stuff mine? Are you going to share it? Are you going to go start taking care of her yard? And I was like, you didn't really mean that, God. <laughs> and I kind of argued with him. And then I finally decided I was going to live out what's mine is God's, I'll share it. So I went over and I mowed her yard. And I mowed it fast, mostly because I didn't want to get caught by her son. I mowed it quick, trimmed it, got the blower, did all the thing, came back over. And I did that three or four times at least, maybe even five or six times before the time that she actually did catch me mowing her yard. It was right at the very end. I had just finished things and I'd kind of put, I'd put the trimmer and the blower right on the top of the mower and I'd push them and come back across the street. And that was right at the moment that she walked out of her house because she realized I was there mowing it. And have you ever had a time that someone is calling your name and you pretend not to hear them? Husbands, don't look at your wives. You'll get in trouble. Anyway. I did one of those. It, literally, she was calling me, and I'm, I can remember so vaguely. I'm, I'm crossing the street. I'm just pushing, trying to walk faster and faster. And she's like, Troy, Troy, Troy. You know, and I'm, I'm just trying to get back across. my. I, I don't know why I thought the safety of my driveway was going to fix things. <laughs> I got to my driveway, and it was right at the end of my driveway that she caught up with me. And I remember standing there, and she looks at me, and she didn't say a word because I don't think she knew what to say. I didn't know what to say because you can't say to someone, God told me to mow your lawn. That just never works out well. I stood there, and this is, I, I'm, I'll tell you in a minute, I'll explain why, why this ended up happening. So 
I didn't know what to do. Our front window of that house, we had a, like a big bay window, it was a big, big white. Sorry, Mike. Anyway, um, so the big bay window is there, and, um, and my wife is watching all of this out the front. I don't know what else to do, and this is not me. I just reach in, and I gave her a hug. And she went from, like, she was just stiff, hardened. I could feel her literally relax in like a three-second hug. It was unbelievable, the difference that happened right there. This to this. And then I turned around and walked inside my house. Now, that is totally God moving because that is not me. Do you know how some people are natural huggers? Like you meet someone first time and they want to hug you. That is not me at all. My theme song in life is if you're happy and you know it, stand real still. Like just, you know, I'm not a hugger. That's not who I am. But something was happening there. My wife saw the whole thing through the window and I went in and I closed the garage door and I walked in the house and my wife said to me, do you realize that might be the first hug she's had in years? And who would have thought mowing someone's yard (laughs) would translate into something like that? Because if God had told me, you need to go over and hug Anne, I'd have been like, no, I don't, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Uh, I'm telling you this, please, please understand. The reason I want to tell this is not because like, oh, look at how great that is. I'm just telling you from the standpoint of who would think that mowing a yard can be a move that God has challenged us to do for someone else. And each and every one of us, every one of you in this room, you've got something. You've got an ability. You've got a skill. You've got a resource. You've got something that God has given you and he's gifted you with that. And he wants you to acknowledge that, and then share that with others because it belongs to him anyway and all for his glory. And I invite you and I challenge you to do just that. Think how different this community becomes if we're going out there and that's the attitude that we have in the high schools and junior highs, in the grocery stores, in the neighborhoods, at the gym, wherever we encounter people regular in life. And we're just looking for ways. We're saying, okay, I'm going to be available. I'm looking for them, but I'm also going to intentionally find some ways that I know I can use what I'm doing. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to serve because I'm going to have what's mine is God's. I'll share it as a theme of my life. I invite you to do that. I challenge you to do that. I've been trying to live my life like this for a couple decades plus uh, now uh, since God really unpacked this for me. It'll change things. It'll absolutely change things for you. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up and uh, I'm gonna pray here in just a minute and then we're gonna take communion. Um, But guys, I just, I can't, I can't express it enough. What a difference it will make if your heart moves to a compassionate place that says, what's mine is God's, I will share it. It'll change everything in your life and everything around you. As a quick note, guys, I know I haven't really talked a lot about Samaritan's Purse. I'm gonna hang out out in the lobby afterwards. If you got Samaritan's Purse questions, I'll cover that. But I really felt like this is what I was supposed to cover this morning. So let's pray together, okay?
God, it is so easy, so easy to get selfish. It really is. I get so concerned about my own life and my own things and my own schedule and it just revolves around me. I even get that way when I'm talking to you, God. I'm asking for stuff for me. Help me, Lord. Help me to live out this attitude that I not only believe it in my head, but I believe it in my heart that everything is yours anyway. It belongs to you. And therefore, I've got to share it. I got to use all the skills, resources, all the abilities, my time. I need to use those things for you the way we learned that Jesus told of this Samaritan, the way he did. He used his time, he used his money, he used his skills, his abilities. Lord, we see them all in there, so help me to get there. I pray that same prayer for everyone in this room, that we would bring honor and glory to you, that more people would come to know you and they'll pick up on something being different because the people of Oak Park are going completely out of their way to serve others with what you've given them. Help us to live in that place, Lord. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.